Did you know that backup tape is experiencing a resurgence in demand? And it's for a reason I never even contemplated when I was using it in the data center over 30 years ago. On last week's episode, I talked about how I created a real air gap back then using tape and Iron Mountain. This is a gap that even the best ransomware cannot penetrate. And that's why tape is getting a second win. In this episode, we talk to two experts from IBM and Fujifilm who are sponsoring this episode, and they help us understand what makes tape so special. It's fast, immutable, holds data reliably far longer than disk can, and it costs less. I've been a fan of tape since I cut my teeth on it in the early 90s, and I'm excited to hear this news. I'm W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and this podcast turns unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Hi, and welcome to the Backup Wrap-Up. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston. And I have with me the guy that should have told me that I hadn't pressed record last time. <laughs> Prasanna Maliandi. Prasanna. I know, I know. It seems like this is like our first podcast episode, you know, that we don't know anything. Yeah. Luckily, you know, we record the news separate from the, the main part of the podcast. Luckily, it was just a news segment. So we just... We talked for about 10 minutes, and then I went to end the recording, and I'm like, um, persona? Well, the funny thing is, I was like, huh, I wonder how long this episode is. And I tried finding, the because there's normally elapsed time that it shows, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't see it. Maybe they moved, they changed the UI. You know how these SaaS products are. They're always changing things around. <laughs> yeah, they are indeed. It is time for the news of the week. So our first story, uh, it, you know, interesting headline, Backblaze blitzes cloud storage speeds with shard stash cache. That's a mouthful. What does it mean, Curtis? First off, you have to talk about Backblaze. Backblaze is both a backup vendor and a storage vendor. They have a product that competes with uh, AWS S3. And this is specifically talking about that product. They call it B2. They write the incoming data to hard drives, but at the same time, they're also writing it to SSDs. And because the way they're uploading the data is a piece at a time, a common term that we use in that world is shard for that uh, piece of data. And so they're calling it a shard stash, otherwise known as a cache. (laughs) Um, And they're comparing it uh, and saying that it's significantly faster than uploading to S3 as a result. What they're doing is writing in parallel to both the SSD and the hard drive. Once it hits the SSD, then they could reply back to the client, which helps with latency, which is where you see a lot of the performance improvements. Yeah. And especially when you start to talk about small files, this is where it makes a significant improvement in performance. I think they quoted sort of 30% better latency than normal S3 because they're able to accept the write immediately and then acknowledge the client, which will then send the next piece versus having to wait for it to commit to uh, hard drives, which might take a little bit of time. Remember, it's not just writing to one hard drive. They're writing across multiple hard drives, across multiple systems for redundancy purposes. So 
to make sure everything's okay, they need to wait for all those commits to come back, which takes time. I think they say it needs to hit 19 out of 20 hard disks. And so that could take time mm, versus right. writing to SSD acknowledging. And then once it does make it to hard drive, then you can remove it from the SSD because it has been persisted in its final location. It just seems odd to write it to both places at the same time rather than to just write through one to the other. But that is what they're doing. And any other advantages that you can think of for doing uh, this? Remember, backup data sets are typically a bunch of small file writes, right? You're not going to be right. sending a single 10 yeah. gig file, right? Even though you might be sending it in smaller chunks. And so this is where it could help with the performance. Yeah, they did a test specifically with Veeam backup and they backed up a terabyte of VMs with 256K block sizes. They're saying with S3, it took three hours and 12 minutes. With uh, B2, it took two hours and 15 minutes. So that, you know, that's 40% faster. Yeah, our second story is about Cohesity. Um, so they have introduced a new integration that allows uh, Cohesity smart files to become Snowflake Analytics Playground. And so really what it is is Snowflake you have a bunch of data that has been stored there. It could be backup data, but Cohesity give you secondary NAS capabilities where you can now just export a mount point and store your data there. And now with this integration, what it allows is instead of having to copy the data out and into Snowflake in order to be able to process and do that and move the data out, they now allow Snowflake to run their analytics against the data that's already stored in Cohesity. So saving you that copy operation, the movement operation, and allows you to run it locally. I don't know a ton about Snowflake, but basically it sounds like they're they're allowing full support for Snowflake within their world, which um, it, what it does is it increases the, the perceived value of that product within a particular environment if that customer is a Snowflake yeah. user. So Did the other thing is that it's not just Cohesity running on-premises, but if you have a Cohesity instance that's running smart files in the cloud, you can also connect directly to that as well. And if you have Snowflake running in the cloud, you could pull the data from there or access the data from there directly. Well, that's the news of the week. This episode is sponsored by IBM and Fujifilm. Our first guest is Rich, who works for Fujifilm Recording Media USA and has been in marketing of tape storage for some 30 years now. Rich writes a blog called Fujifilm Insights that can be found at fujifilmusa.com. Welcome to the podcast, Rich Gadomsky. Hey, thanks very much, Curtis, Brisana. Great to be here again. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Our next guest is a tape evangelist who's been ensuring the preservation of the world's digital history, Welcome to the podcast, Sean Brumet. Thank you very much. It's a great honor to be here. Well, we're glad to have both of you. This is actually our first official sponsored episode, so we're very excited to have two friends of the pod on. How are things in the tape world these days? Sean, take it away. Well, I, you know, tape, tape is having really a great big resurgence in the technology market. And we say resurgence, it's never really gone away. It's moved into the enterprise. But it, more and more, people are looking at things like cyber resiliency and saying, how do I protect data? How do I really air gap it? And tape is fundamentally at its core, air gap cyber resilient. 
Yeah, you know, uh, Persona, you remember, I think it was just last week, wasn't it, that we recorded an episode where we talked about the basically what I'm now calling old school air gap or or actual air gap. Yeah, I remember that versus a virtual air gap or... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because everybody's using the term air gap now. And and we recorded this episode where we basically said, uh, you know, th- this is about cybersecurity. I-, I remember back in the day, we weren't really thinking so much about cybersecurity. We were just thinking, let's get a copy of these backups far away from the thing that we're backing up, right? Let's put it in a box, hand it to a man in a van, and then it would show up somewhere else and then magically reappear back in a few weeks and then we could recycle those tapes. We were mainly thinking about, you know, just, you know, getting a gap of air (laughs) in order to protect it from a fire or a flood or something like that. But nowadays, uh, it it sounds like, you know, the one of the primary reasons people are thinking about tape has to do with cybersecurity. Rich, does that seem about what you're saying? To your point, tape was always, uh, you know, great for DR applications, backup, DR, obviously archive. Uh, and I think the reason for that is because it is so portable, easily removable from its environment. So you can safely get it offline, offsite. Uh, and that's really critical today. Uh, you know, more so, as you mentioned, it's not just about, you know, hurricanes and fires and floods, um, earthquakes. You know, it really today the threat is uh, cyber related. Um, so anything that's connected to the network, in our opinion, and I think most experts would agree, if it's connected to the network, hackers can figure out how to access it. Um, and and so when it comes to to data storage, you know, getting at least mission critical data offline, offsite, um, is the best practice. That you know, a lot of the uh, you know, federal government agencies are advocating for today when you look at the FBI, um, SISA, uh, Department of Homeland Security, um, even to a certain extent, Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, it's interesting, you know, what they're talking about now, um, and we can get more into that. But, but definitely tape, you know, was always removable, always portable. Um, it's gotten better today because of its you know, incredible capacity increase. So just to give you a quick example, um, you know, if you go back 10 years ago with LTO6, to get one petabyte off-site would take 160 tapes, 160 <laughs> cartridges, okay? It was only 2.5 terabytes compressed, you know, 6.25. That's how you get the 160. Well, today with LTO9, you're talking about 23 tapes. You're talking about a, a case of tapes to put a petabyte offsite offline. So it makes a lot of sense today. And of course, it's you know very, very cost effective. So I know we talked about sort of the air gap, Curtis, and I know on our last episode we talked, and Rich, you just mentioned sort of you could take tape and you can move it offline, which is great. Uh, take it out, move it offsite. I think one thing, though, Curtis, that came up in our conversation last week, which I hadn't really thought about, is the process aspect, right? Part of it is keeping your data offline, but the other thing is being able to build a completely separate process to ensure that that hackers could not get to your data even if they tried to. So I know the example you gave, Curtis, was Iron Mountain having a separate call-in, right? Having sort of a mechanism to allow for 
data to only come back to be restored or deleted, which is a separate exception process that needs to be verified by multiple people. All these things which get a little bit more difficult from a virtual air gap solution perspective versus a physical tape where you have the flexibility because it's offline, right? I can just move those 23 tapes like you were mentioning, Rich, right? I can just move it from one location to another location fairly easily, but trying to move all that data physically over a network would probably be impossible, plus the controls you need in place from a process perspective. Never underestimate the bandwidth of a truck. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Truck nets. Um, you, yes. you bring that up. That is such a great point. Um, you know, that is, I think that's where Rich was going was that the scale of data today, if you start looking at AI applications and, and IOTs, they're pulling together all this data and it needs to be protected. Well, how do they want fundamentally protect it air gap wise? What's the process? Um, but number two, how do you meet the scale? Because as you said, can you imagine taking a petabyte every night and just pushing it over the wire, right? Just, just to protect it, not to create transaction or anything else, but just to preserve that data. Um, the other point that comes behind that is how do you establish a second site easily and effectively if you've got it coming in to a single site, if IoT is collecting from the edge and coming into the data center, how do you propagate it? And tape is being used as that air gap orchestration to say, hey, move the data, stream it in. And what a lot of people don't realize is uh, there's always talk of, well, tape's slow, right? I, I, well, you won't hear that here, trust me, Sean, you won't hear that from this podcast. Here. Fundamentally, it's linearly extremely high performance, right? And those that deal with it. Now, if you're going to go get little segments, sure. So if you're going to stream that data in, there's nothing that can stream like tape as far as efficiency and then move the truck net. Um, take the truck net and move that whole, and we talk a petabyte today, but a petabyte's a start. I mean, usually people are talking about why well, I ingest, uh, you know, 100 petabytes a year. And I need to move 10% or 15% of that data on a regular basis. Um, so we've seen a lot of orchestration around not only the air gap protection, which is multi-layered, but also how do I reestablish a site? How do I make it easier to move all that data? And tape's great because for portability, it's safe to port your data with it. Right. There, there are a number of workflows that involve transporting, a, you know, a lot of data on a very regular basis. And those workflows are very tape friendly. Right. I think of, I certainly think I, I live in Southern California, you know, right up the road. There's a whole bunch of people who make a whole lot of stuff on a very regular basis. And that stuff needs to be transported around. Tape is very popular when I go to National Association of Broadcasters, right, at the NAB show. Tape is very popular at NAB. Sean, you mentioned about the concern. It, it's so funny. When I'm talking to just random people that, that aren't deep within the backup world, I say, I'm, I'm going to ask you a fill-in-the-blank question, and uh, you know, and I want them to fill in the blank. And I say, the reason that we that, – that the – a lot of the backup world moved, you know, from tape to disc. Was it because tape was too blank? 
right? And <laughs> everyone always says slow, right? They're like, oh, the tape was too slow. It's like, no, that was not the problem. The problem was we couldn't match the speed of the tape, right? So the tape is actually really, really fast. Um, you know, the, the, the problem that we have is like with incremental backups and trying to, you know, make the tape drive happy. Uh, that's the challenge that we, that, that became the new challenge. But all of those great things about tape, the cost effectiveness, and it's not even like, it's not even close, right? I've done a number of cost comparisons when I look at tape versus disc, even disc with deduplication, that even if the disc were free, like even if you bought the disc array, uh, for a dollar that the power and cooling to, to to uh, operate that disk array would be more than the cost of an entire tape-based system that you purchased and operated, right? So it, it, it's not even close from a, from a cost perspective. And then let's also talk a little bit about, again, you're, you're, you're with friends of tape here, right? We, we talk a lot about the, um, uh, the bit error rate of tape versus disk and competing technologies. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Who wants to talk about that, Rich or Sean? Well, let me let me hit the TCO point, and I'll turn over to bit error rate if you want, Rich, to you, or I can handle that as well. Sure, um, sure. But a little bit about TCO, I, I totally agree with you. When you talk about the total cost of ownership, you have to put everything in there. You can't just say, well, you know, I found an HDD at Costco that's only 62 bucks, right? Um, okay, great, but there's a lot that goes along with that. Um, and one of the things that get, gets thrown out is the fact that there's a carbon impact to that, right? When you start talking about maintaining that data and spending that energy, there's a serious carbon impact. So we totally agree. Uh, and I don't run into too many people anymore that say, um, well, I can do HDD for the same cost, unless they have a, a very small amount of data, right? right. Um, they, they, they're pretty open. And, and it, Rich, do you want to do bit error rate, or you want me to throw in a couple of things on that? Yeah, I mean, I'll just keep it real simple. Uh, with the latest generation of LTO, um, say LTO9, and uh, the um, TS1170, uh, the IBM 3592 product, the bit error rate is expressed as one times 10 to the 20th power. So that com that's several orders of magnitude better uh, than what you have with HDD uh, and flash, which is typically one times 10 to the 15, 16, or 17th power. So what does that mean in terms of, like for our listeners, right? If I had <laughs> X amount of data, I would expect one bit to be flipped how often? Like, or based on how much data? It, it, yeah, one, one, one bit in 10 times, 10 to the 20th power. That's a lot of 20 zeros. So that's, um, so that's like one bit in every 100 petabytes. Okay. Ver versus you, one bit in every 100 terabytes, I think, or yeah, 100 terabytes. Yeah. If, if it's three yeah. orders of magnitude different, right. then that would be, and that sounds like that's the, the best Right, because if it's twenty versus seventeen, then if it's one petabyte, then it's a um, hundred terabytes. Terabytes, yeah, right, right. right. Um, Just which, significant, which means that you have you have a bit that is flipped that is a one instead of a zero, and you don't know it, right? right. That right. that that's just. <laughs> it, it's the it's the dirty little secret of magnetic uh, uh, recording. Well, it's, um, the, it's well, not the, it's not just magnetic recording, all all recording, right? 
Right, right. And that's, you know, it's, it's the, you know, in the fundamentals, HDD works to counter that with ECC rates. And if you were to convert that, like everybody says, well, you know, 100 petabytes, what does it really mean in tapes? It means that you would run around the earth 1.5 times almost before you'd hit that bit error rate statistically in tape. Um, around the center of the earth. So that's, a, I mean, that is a lot of tape processing before you get there. Yeah, and, and we've seen it in practical applications. Um, CERN uh, had a great story where um, they did a migration. I think it was from, maybe it was TS-1150 to TS-1155. Uh, and they they transferred 100 petabytes of data from the lower capacity cartridge to the higher capacity cartridge. And at the end of that process, they had, I think, three or four gigabytes that they couldn't recover, but sent um, that, those cartridges to IBM who did recover them. So out of 100 petabytes, they had no data loss. Um, so, you know, Practically speaking, you don't often see a hundred petabyte migration, but it's it's a great opportunity to really test, yeah, you know, the integrity of the system. Yeah, and and the other thing that I that I throw out if somebody is truly concerned about that, they can literally make another copy for <laughs> for next to nothing, right? That's something you can do in tape, because what what a lot of people don't think about about tape versus disc is that with disc the mechanics and the media are they're inseparable, right? They're, everything's all inside. Whereas with tape, the mechanics and the media are two separate things. So the, the, the media has a separate cost element. And so you can have a whole separate copy on tape for much less co uh, price than, like you can't even compare that, right? And so if you did have one bit error rate on a, a, a crucial piece of data, if you had a second copy, you wouldn't have that bit in the same spot, right? Um, so let me, let me ask you a question. Um, so let's say somebody has, uh, they got on the, the dedupe and disc uh, uh, bandwagon 20 years ago, and or they're like somebody like Prasanna, who's never seen a tape in the wild. I've seen right? a tape. I've seen a tape. I've never had to use a tape. Okay. okay you've ne he's never had to use one, right? What's happened? Or, you know, somebody who maybe you know, they cut their teeth on, on LTO one. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and they remember the days of like lost leader things and all that, <laughs> you know, those bad, bad days. What can they look forward to as what, what's happened to tape in the last 10 to 20 years advancements? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start Sean. I mean, the, the big thing is capacity and I alluded to it earlier comparing say LTO6 to um, uh, LTO9 today. Uh, but just recently, IBM and Fujifilm announced um, a new 50 terabyte tape cartridge, uh, which is two and a half times uh, the previous generation of, uh, of the TS-1160 3592JE cartridge. So, I mean, the if you look at the compound annual growth rate of capacity growth over the last 10 years, the previous... 50 years pales in comparison. So a lot of the technological advancements um, have been happening in the last 10 to 20 years, more so than um, in the earlier days. So the technological advancements are, are very rapid these days. Capacity is an excellent example. Of course, you know the cartridge mechanics, the durability, um, drives and media have been greatly enhanced. 
Um, so it, it's a technology that's not sitting still. It's it's not collecting rust. <laughs> uh, it's right. not. Some people say it's not your father's Oldsmobile, and and that couldn't be more true. Um, but but look, we we did a 580 terabyte demonstration uh, with the IBM lab out of Zurich. 580 terabytes. That's native capacity on a LTO size cartridge. And in fact, the LTO roadmap has now been extended to LTO 14, uh, which gets very close to that capacity, 576 terabytes native. So you're over 1.4 petabytes with compression. Um, so the tech, you know, and do we need that kind of capacity? You know, they're talking about the need to, uh, to protect and preserve up to 26 zettabytes of persistent data by the end of this decade. So just one zettabyte is 55 million 18 terabyte hard drives. 55 million 18 terabyte hard drives. One LTO9, uh, one zettabyte is 55 million LTO9 cartridges at native capacity. Um, so what's, you know, the, the big picture is data growth is, is truly, um, uh, with, you know, rampant. Uh, it's, it is exponential is the word I was looking for. Um, and the, the value of data is increasing uh, by leaps and bounds now that we can apply artificial intelligence to it, analytics. So what does that mean? People want to keep that data now for longer periods of time. How do you do that cost effectively? And you've got a tried and true technology with an incredible ecosystem behind it. Um, you know, we, we recently put out our Tape Storage Council report. You know, there were 25 member companies listed, and that's probably half of the people, you know, that could be on that report. Um, so there's a tremendous ecosystem. You know, the leaps and bounds of automation, I should let Sean speak about that. Um, but the technology is not sitting still. Rich, you talked about the physical, how much physically resilient tape has become, and especially LTO tape. So funny little story. I made a music video and, and we were parodying Adele's Rolling in the Deep. And one shot in, in Rolling in the Deep, she's smashing dishes against the wall. And so I wanted to smash LTO tapes against the wall and have them like explode. And no matter how hard we hit them against the wall, they wouldn't shatter into multiple pieces. So the only way we were able to get it to work was to physically disassemble them, take out all the screws, and then and then tape them back together with, with, with scotch tape so that when we would throw them at the wall, they would they would fly apart. Anyway, I just thought you would you would find that amusing. Yeah, that's very funny. Uh, but you know what we find is the the durability of the cartridges far exceed the actual usage right. typically. Uh, I mean, there's there's very few environments around the world that um, you know really exceed any any of the specifications. Um, so uh, you know that really durability is is excellent. I mean, we measure defective parts parts per million. You know that's it's just almost negligible, almost zero. But Sean, talk about encryption. Yeah, um, 
I think encryption goes into what's been happening with tape over the last 20 years. Um, believe it or not, from a hardware point of view in storage, tape really led the industry into that in 2005, six time frame, uh, introducing AES 256, really kicking it up with key management because key lifecycle management was so important. It's embedded in the drive with a certificate in the drive to support synchronous and asynchronous uh, encryption. And the encryption itself is AES-256 up to today, which is still quantum safe um, as far as you know, Grover's algorithm goes. Uh, and the latest tape drive, TS-1170, it is prepped for when NIST finally ratifies the um, latest. Yeah, and I see everybody's, you know, we're laughing a little bit, but when NIST finally ratifies the, the latest algorithms, we're ready to put those certificates in there and get it fully quantum secure. Um, but on top of that, we've done a lot of stuff in the tape drive it's, that people don't readily grasp onto as a very innovative technology. And, and coming from the backup wrap-up, this is really important. Um, you know, we were talking about incremental backups and the, these little chunks of files or, or data that are out there. Um, back in, oh, circa call it 2005, 2006, we started a program inside the drive that does what we call back hitchless flush. And essentially it says, hey, if you come to me and you've got a bunch of files you're reading in order and you read uh, the stop of the file, rather than backing up and starting the new file and then just, you know, this real slow process, we're just going to process it. So inside the process of the tape drive, we just stream down and meet the effectiveness of the tape drive. And then we said, well, let's make it one better. Um, and we introduced in 2015 uh, the ability to say, hey, I'm going to pull back these 1,000 files or assets or data chunks. Um, and they're all over this tape. You drive, tell me the order I need to go get them in. And then tell me that's what you're going to do, and I'll tell you, go get them. And it is proven to reduce the cycle time between 60 and 83% mm. at the max, depending on, you know, what, what your, your distance, et cetera, is. Which goes back to, is tape being innovative? Every single day it's driving into that. So we're, we're again, leading encryption. Um, some of the individuals who do encryption in the tape drive are the individuals who have led the latest NIST push. As you may or may not know, IBM's introduced its algorithms, and they're still part of the, the last round. And I guess they're going in round four now uh, at NIST to get those algorithms approved. So uh, tape is really heavily engaged, and we tell people, don't put your data on a tape or anything for that matter at rest without encryption. There's no reason, there's no reason, there's no penalty, literally no penalty for using encryption, except for no one can ever access your data illegally. Yeah, like you said, Sean, it's like, yeah, you better make sure you have uh, encryption turned on because like you said, those might leave your physical presence. Those are easy to find, right? Things happen. You want to make sure that your data is safe and being able to offload that encryption to the tape drive itself to ensure every single piece of data gets encrypted, regardless of what the client is that's writing to the tape, I think ensures standardization across the board rather than ensuring that an admin did not or did check the box that said enable an encryption right at the backup software level, which 
we know mistakes always happen, right? People get busy. They're not able to always find the right checkboxes and settings. So having that on by default makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask you a question, though, Sean. I know you're talking about the technology to sort of put things in order, right? The drive puts the files in order that need to be read back. Before I started on this podcast and talking to Curtis and learning from the experts like yourselves about tape, I would always think that tape was typically used for sort of full restore cases, right? Hey, I had a site blow up. I need to recover this entire application or I have a a table that got dropped. I need to go back three weeks and restore the entire database. But are you starting to see it more and more common, especially in cyber instances where it is really more of that file level restore capabilities or a subset of backups that need to come back from tape? You know, in the cyber world, we see that it's actually more of a stream the whole thing out because they're trying to figure out what's happened to their data and they want to get it back. Um, But they're going to selectively choose it. What we are seeing is an enormous growth in active slash archive use. Mm. In other words, I have these files and they're active and then they move semi-active and I need two copies anyways. I'm just going to make my primary data back it all up, push it right to tape. And I've got a second copy on there. And then when I say, hey, look, it's not being touched anymore. I'm going to get rid of it. In that instance, all of a sudden what happens is All these requests, because no matter how we would like to say we're never going to look at our PowerPoints from five years ago, somebody's going to come back and say, I did a great PowerPoint five years ago, and I want that back. And they'll now start pulling those forward. But it's also being used in the um, application of I need two or three copies because it's my service business to provide protection of data. And they are just massive, massive multi-tenancy environments to go get this data. So they're not being requested by one organization. They're being requested by a hundred or a thousand organizations. And that leads to the need for, for, you know, random access ordering. That's what we call it in the tape, Mm -hmm. which comes back and says, oh yeah, we've got 1,200 requests and we're going to cut the time to get them back by 83%. Go, go, go. Yep. So we are seeing a big shift from – cybers, as you guys know, 3, 2, 1, and 1 is now 3, 2, 1, and 1 with a zero <laughs> because nothing can be lost. And and we're seeing more and more of that application coming into the active archive realm where clients need their data. They need multiple copies and it comes right back to sustainability and cost. Mm -hmm. How much do I want to pay for the second and third copies? Because if the first one truly goes away, I probably have a bigger problem (laughs) and a little bit of time to get to that data is okay. It's okay. Exactly. At least I have access to it rather than it's gone completely. That's right. Exactly. Um, Sean, you, you, you talked a little bit about the, the active archive thing. Um, and so, uh, one of the things that, that I thought also we could talk, you know, this, this active archive idea, I know, is another area where tape is doing really well. Again, for that person, I'll just say again, if we take the average, you know, IT person on the street, um, <laughs> the the idea of 
tape as a place to put data for a very long period of time seems really weird. They're like, they're thinking, oh, hard, hard disk. I like hard, right? Or, or solid, solid state. That sounds really solid. So what, what I'm curious about, uh, Rich here, is I, I'd love to hear about, uh, and of course, I, know, I already know the answers to this, <laughs> to this question that I'm asking, but Rich, like, what have we done with the media itself in the past however many years. With most recent 50 terabyte cartridge from IBM, we're using a new substrate uh, called Aramid, uh, which is thinner and much stronger. We actually are using a, a mix of um, barium ferrite, which is kind of the current de facto standard with next gen strontium ferrite magnetic particle. Um, but uh, I want to just say thanks for mentioning Active Archive, Sean. Um, you know, that's close to my heart. Uh, it's a great application for, it, it really, you know, archive has become a four-letter word. I know this is a backup cybersecurity. But the nice thing about an active archive environment is you can easily export, you know, a copy of, uh, of the tapes for cybersecurity or gap purposes. But nobody wants to archive. Uh, people want 24-7 um, access to their, to their data. Uh, so an active archive allows you to do that cost effectively. Um, and it is in frequently accessed data. So you don't want to keep it on, on spinning disk um, or on solid state, which are, by the way, great technologies. You know, we need a ton of solid state. We need a ton of disk. We need a ton of tape too, uh, because that's what it's going to take to really properly protect data and preserve it long term. Um, but the other thing Sean said was sustainability. Um, sustainability has become a huge issue, uh, and it transcends every application uh, throughout the entire organization, um, including cybersecurity uh, and, and data protection. So, um, you know, tape consumes 87% less energy than disk. Studies show that it produces 97% less CO2e. And, you know, we were joking at the beginning of the show prior to recording that, yeah, here I am bundled up because it's freezing cold in New Jersey, but at the end of this week, it's going to be 80 degrees. Um, so it's hard to deny um, climate change, global warming. I mean, we see evidence of it every single day. And Sean can speak to this. Uh, every single RFQ he gets today for storage, uh, they want to know what is the sustainability impact. Let Sean talk to that. Yeah, if I could add to to Rich's to relate for the the listener, what you know, you're talking about strong ferrites and aramid. What, what does that really mean? Um, the the benefits long term of of substrates like aramid are think about a, a giant sailboat cell, the you know the main cell that really pulls a lot of drag. Aramid is used in those strands of aramid because they're strong. They're uh, water resistant, they're sun resistant, and that's what's being used in that tape to preserve the longevity of data. So from a relatable point of view, you know, Aramid and these other technologies in tape is very advanced. We just don't talk about them because they're kind of under the covers. It's like, so you're putting <laughs> sailboat cells in your tape. I, I really don't care. I just want my data to be there, right? So... Yeah, I think I think the the reason why I wanted to mention it, just sort of the the overall um, 
you know, when we talk about tape versus disk, especially when we talk about long-term storage, right? That, that the thing that people, I think the average person doesn't understand is just how much cheaper tape is, just how much better it is at writing ones and zeros than any other medium. And then also really importantly is how good it is at holding on to those ones and zeros for a really long period of time without any power applied to it, right? Um, and and so the, and and some of those advancements came from those substrate uh, changes, right? To the, the change to barium ferrite was a big one. That also, as I recall, that had a big capacity change because you could you could do different things with the with the bits and and put them closer together. Um, and what's really sort of funny to me is as as we've done changes over the years with tape. And, and the bits have gotten closer and closer together on 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 the media. They're nowhere near. Uh, it's like a astronomical difference between how close they are together on disk, which is why there's such a big difference as to how well it can hold on to those ones and zeros. But anyway, I preach. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but it is a good point. But it is a good point, though, because I think a lot of people do get confused and they do think, "Hey, I can use an SSD for my backup or for my archives, right?" And it's like, please don't. Do, I know everyone's face, right? Please don't do that. Yeah, but some people <laughs> do that, right? They're like, "Hey, let me just use this because it's cheap, it's reasonable, it has high performance," but they don't understand that durability aspect. Yeah, or yeah. the cost or the energy yeah. involved yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, it's just. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies when you talk about doing archives on SSDs. Like who? Like what? Why do you need? First off, the, the, you know, sorry, sorry. So what's what tape is really good is holding data for a really long period of time. That's like the best thing it could do for next to nothing from a cost perspective. What what a what a SSD is really good at is really fast random access, <laughs> like really really fast. Why do you need that with a file that you haven't looked at in seventeen years? That's all. That's all I've. Yeah, because when I'm you saying. do look at it in seventeen years, you want it to be instantaneous, Curtis. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Goodness yeah. gracious. Instantaneous. That's absolutely true. Sean, I know you've mentioned a couple times about sustainability, and I know Rich, you were joking about climate change and how it's supposed to be eighty degrees in New Jersey. Could you guys talk a little bit more about what makes tape so? great from a sustainability perspective versus the other technologies out there and why it really matters. Yeah, persona that it carbon impact. I don't like to use sustainability because it has so many, so many offerings, but it is sustainability. The carbon impact of it is huge. As we know, it consumes, you know, it data centers consume like 3% of the world's energy all by themselves. Um, but for tape, what it comes down to is, why is it so much better? Well, to begin with, it's fundamentally offline. The data as stored requires no energy to live for 30 years. That contributes. But then you come back to the way the operation is. Each tape drive, and, and let's say you've got 10, you've got 20, whatever it is, is only around, let's just average it out at 42 watts. So the average tape infrastructure with 50 petabytes of tape is running, give or take, right around 1.4 kilowatt hours. Which um, is almost whereas, nothing. 
<laughs> which which is almost nothing, right? That's like uh, what two refrigerators running, yeah, um, in your household, and fifty petabytes on HDD just in energy is running ninety seven percent more than that. That's just a huge amount. So you're talking about rather than thirty eight hundred kilowatt hours a year with tape, you're like. 28,000 kilowatt hours on and, and, HDD. And for the HDD, you're just talking about the power, right? Not including the cooling and other aspects yet either. Just the energy. That's before the thermal yeah. effect. So you throw the thermal effect in there and all of a sudden, <laughs> by the way, tape has a charge for thermal because one disadvantage of tape is you do have to keep the environment regulated. You can't run at 106 Fahrenheit, 40 C, right? If you do... It, it it's just very difficult to you know, hard on the tape. But most environments, humans can't operate in that anyways very well. It doesn't happen. And on the other sustainability aspects come what, what Curtis had talked about, the longevity of it. Most people don't realize that the average tape library for an enterprise, a big, you know, we're talking big where scale matters, um, lasts 16.4 years in the field which would basically be like getting out a one terabyte drive from 2003 today and saying, yeah, we're good to go. Every, we're going to put our data on it. Um, so less migrations means less waste, less e-waste, because 98.9% of the entire tape infrastructure has a recyclable component to it. It may not be super easy, you know, it may not be just let it rot, but it's recyclable into some sort of capability. So that just overall starts to look at data and say, well, if you're going to do a third copy, I don't need it right now. I really shouldn't need it right now. I can, number one, the, it's something like 68% of CEOs are now being graded on sustainability. Sustainability as in their carbon impact change. And in Europe, it's if you're over a certain size, you have to report your carbon impact. Um, so it's now up into the C-suite. So your three P's matter, people, performance, profits, uh, with profits being last. So it, they're going to have to start focusing on things like carbon impacts. And we've got lots of data that just demonstrates that at every level, from embedded to operational to end of life cycle, tape is much better for retaining that data. Yeah. So speaking of the um, C-suite, uh, you know, and, and, and what they're concerned with, not only sustainability, but bringing it back to cybersecurity, um, you know, the SEC is now looking for uh, cybersecurity disclosures and they are ho holding the, uh, the board members accountable uh, for their cybersecurity uh, preparedness, resilience, what have you. Um, so the and, the and the investors are looking at that. We'll start looking at that standardized um, disclosure forms, uh, you know, to make a judgment on the company's preparedness. And you know, when you look at the cost of taking a petabyte and moving it offsite into an air gap compared to what companies are paying today in ransomware. It's a drop in a bucket. So it's the last line of defense for sure. There's a lot of things up front you have to do to keep the hackers out and all those things need to be done. But it is a multifaceted approach. 
and I think it's a great insurance policy, uh, you know, to get some of that mission critical data offsite, air gapped. Uh, and, and the boards of these companies are going to be held personally accountable for it. So hopefully they'll, they'll start, uh, you know, really approving the budgets to, um, to go that extra mile. Uh, you know, the other thing is if you want to get cyber insurance, um, you know, the first thing a cyber insurance uh, underwriter is going to want to know, are you putting your data offsite offline? Because they're not going to give you a policy unless you're following best practices. So, you know, I think that, you know, final comment, you know, putting some data on tape, getting it air gapped, uh, you know, is definitely a best practice today. Recommended by the government. SEC wants it. Cyber insurance companies want it. So let's do it. Absolutely. So for people who may not be familiar with tape or other things like that or want to learn more, what can they do? Like, where can they go? Yeah, I mean, Fujifilm's got a, a you know, wealth of information on its own websites. Um, simply Google anything about tape, you'll find it. Um, LinearTapeOpen.org. IBM is a treasure trove of information. Uh, tape Storage Council, Active Archive Alliance. There's no shortage of information. Uh, it's just people need to, to um, raise their awareness and take the effort to learn about today's modern, highly advanced tape. Yeah, that's they stay off YouTube for the most part. <laughs> YouTubers love to go back and go, oh, I've got this terrible thing. Tape sucks. Well, if you're running one from 1972 and it's real to real and it fails on you, yeah, that happens on occasion. Um, but yeah, Wait definitely. A second. We, we've got a great video of Sean on YouTube from our summit meeting talking yeah, yeah. about sustainability of tape. So <laughs> go to Fujifilm Recording Media USA YouTube and look for Sean Brame. <laughs> He's got a great number of videos. There you go. Another one, if, if, if you have propeller heads, we're all propeller heads on this call, um, uh, insic.org, I-N-S-I-C.org, goes down to the, the nitty-gritty of storage technologies on their site. It's a great place to get down into it. Okay, awesome. Thank you. That's great. I want to thank you guys for, for coming on and talking. Thanks, Rich. Thank you very much, Curtis. Thanks, Prasanna. Thanks, Sean. Pleasure to be here today. And thank you, Sean. Well, thank you very much. It was uh, entertaining. <laughs> All right. And Prasanna, of course, as always, thanks for thanks for. Being a great co-host. I try. I try. It was great to meet you, Sean, and great seeing you again, Rich. Thanks. Thanks again. And I want to thank our listeners. Of course, we would be nothing without you. That is a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.